Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name is Mark Smith and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. This week, we return to Deck Mantle Festival for another installment in RA's conference program. Staff writer Matt McDermott had the chance to sit down with Clark, a prodigiously prolific electronic artist who's released nine albums and a slew of EPs with Warp Records since the early 2000s. Although he's been synonymous with the label's core IDM sound, his hyper-detailed music has embraced a wide variety of acoustic sources. Even though his output can be extraordinarily intricate, he prioritizes narrative development over production pyrotechnics, creating awe-inspiring but emotionally affecting work in the process. In this conversation, we hear about how his approach has developed since his debut record and the importance of electronic artists embracing chance and spontaneity in their work. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The exchange with Clark is up next. Uh, well, it's been nine albums. Let's talk about the most recent one, Death mm. Peak. Um, I, I feel like this this one in particular, uh, with the introduction of the choir and some some like heavier music ideas, like this one, mm. this one felt more conceptual than yeah. previous albums. Um, it's very odd because I I don't know how this happens, but time seems to sort of speed up as soon as you release an album and. Um, so much has happened since it that it feels like it's about 10 years old and I don't I mean I, I don't think it sounds 10 years old I think it sounds when I hear it live I'm like it feels like visiting an old friend or something it's like I've, I, I forget that that album exists and it's nice that it's still out there and kind of percolating and trying to reconfigure my mind to to what that album's about and it's quite it's there's some like cogs creaking because it I spoke about it so much, and it's my feelings are different now. <laughs> well, one of the, one of the things you said about touring and touring mm. primarily as a live artist is is it's sort of your way to ah uh, yeah you have bid, done your research yeah, yeah yes bid, yeah. bid adieu to yeah the previous album totally it's like kind of giving it up for giving your kid up for adoption or something, and you you sort of hope that the foster parents are going to treat it well but you can't really you you just like let go of it and I think it's really important in a way to get just you're so familiar with the record and then you kind of don't want to hear it for a while and it's up for you know other people then kind of take the baton and live with it um I, I can't imagine not touring a record because you the idea of just kind of having a a react an online reaction I is and just sort of trying to gauge it from that is 
so quite quite frankly sort of scares the shit out of me like what you you need to have that visceral connection to first of all hearing it loud and it seeing how it connects with people and so important and just for a sense of closure and being able to move on for me it's i mean it's different for everyone but for me it's yeah it's like saying goodbye to it or something it's it's interesting i feel like a lot of producers will uh you know dj their material Mm. out prior and kind of test it that way but yeah i do that quite a lot actually yeah yeah that's i should do that more I'd, i'd like a lot of turning dragon was just in the days of like i uh really early ipods some of the e- eqs and stuff on it are like mixed it's it's like ridiculous the way it's really stupid but kind of fun the way i mastered it would just be on straight onto an mpc from an ipod with a like ipod eq there were these really horrible eqs on the old ipods that were sort of horrible but in a really captivating way like loads of treble and it would just smash it onto an mpc through a phoner cable and and then like play that out and it, it would be like the first time I'd heard it out and it was so thrilling and people seemed to like it and that having that energy was really important and now I'd obviously I wasn't a total idiot like I had the master like the proper master on a computer but ended up using just these like MPC masters for a lot of it that were it j- just cause they were quite savage and had something about them and it, it just reminded me of testing them out so it was like a kind of pretty weird but fun thing to do you, you sort of like to uh take a number of approaches in mm. the mixing process as well right like like listen through earbuds listen through laptop speakers listen yeah. through nice monitors yeah I, I guess yeah i mean that was that album was the most sort of pushed or like uncom- i don't know they're all all my records are mixed in different ways but I'm not as into that side of music anymore because I just spent so long cutting my teeth on learning that side of it that it's sort of in the background now and it's just this like intuition of what to I don't like relentlessly A, B things and get het up about mix downs because I sort of feel like that also it adds it can add something to music that I don't like it's like a mm, sort of sort of asking a producer friend what mix you should use on an album is the worst thing you, it's always it's always like if you play it to someone who doesn't make music that's just a music lover because they'll usually choose something that you that has got technical flaws in it but is better just just a better track like a bet more more emotion or more energy and it's that's quite a hard thing to let go of actually just like the idea that there's a few tracks on the clark album that like really extended like really techy versions that were like just not very interesting and then you'd play uh, there was just the, there's I can't remember the track title Grit Grit in the Pearl Spit at the End which is just like a mess but has got something that I sort of needed a friend to point out that that was worth keeping it's just got to be someone you trust whose taste you kind of click with but I, I know with the self-titled album you made that relatively quickly for you in about four months. And then mm. uh, death peak was about six months. You sort of gave yourself a deadline because you're sort of prone to having a lot of versions and then just yeah. having to like pick one Version at itis. the end. Yeah. It's, for, it's that's the, that's the thing that takes time quite often. The actual tracks written really quickly. And then you just have this, procru- not procrastination, but yeah, reflecting on 
It's never really an in- intellectual decision, though. It's not like there's not really any. You can't really rationalise it. It's odd. It's just a feel thing. Just letting. It's just usually the tracks you play, you listen to most. I I feel like the progression of your music. It seems like you know you come from a background playing violin and piano, um, and then sort of diving into Cubase sound design, like more painstaking methods. And then mm. s- since then, like it, it feels like uh, you've been at- attempting to infuse your music with more spontaneity, the spontaneity and naivety. Yeah, I'm kind of sick of what, how my computer makes me work. And it does feel a little bit too easy sometimes. Um, and I, I just like that. I like the thing of being able to make well, the thing of not being able to make mistakes, like if you say to yourself, I have to delete it, I have to delete the project, I can't, I don't like always being able to go back and tweak things, I, I don't know, I think the things I look for in music are more, more. they're just not technical things so much anymore, I don't know, it's like, I don't know, I can't, I can't really explain it, but I just enjoy, pl- I'm just enjoying playing at the moment more, playing piano a lot, yeah. Music's funny. It's like chasing your own tail or something. Like technical music can be interesting, but also not. It's like reading a dictionary or something. It's like no one... Re- you can know all the words and still have nothing to say. You can you can just be like a poet that knows knows exactly the etymology of the word or whatever and just, just be rubbish. Or you can just be a really naive person that doesn't know a scale or can't keep time, ha- can't produce... But if you've got something worth, that if you're if you're just compelled to do it, and it's like a kind of madness, then you'll do something fresh, and it will. All, uh, that's the truth. I think more and more. I think that's, you know, how I. That's music I like. Yeah, I think there's a story about like Brian Eno being in the studio, and a six-year-old had come in and played yeah, a piano did, yeah. line, and just like running with that. You know? Yeah, d- yeah, completely. Or just be. Or just having that almost like acid, like psychedelic acid thing of just. Sometimes I'll. It's usually if I'm sleep deprived. Like you just listen to three notes on a piano, and you're you're just like you feel like a kid. It's like the the most seeing it is this magical thing rather than this like blasé kind of um, technical per- thing that you need to like uh, conquer and kind of master and. There's something quite, um, I don't know. There's 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 a sort of sneeriness to really technical music, uh, for want of a better word, that I try and that I I just personally puts me off. And so, do so it's, w- it's weird when people think my music's really technical. A few people, I, I I'm baffled by by that, but it's, you know, whatever. Well, to to get back into the spontaneity, let's talk about the live show. Um, this is one of the most, if not the most ambitious live show you've mm. done. And there's like a performative aspect to it. Human special effects, I think is the term yeah. that you've used. And there's also like, a, there's a lot of room for you to make mistakes live as well, right? Yeah, there is. Happy accidents. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. Oh, I like that, happy accidents. But yeah, no, there's mistakes, I think. Um just like as having a synth to play and then drum machines makes it there's room for improvisation which is i think it would be really boring for me otherwise you know i want to do more sets that are just completely improvised i've done a few but mainly because sound cards have um like broken 
or that yeah what you know the crossfader on an apc that i didn't really realize that that existed and then it was it went to the other side and i thought it was my sound card and then so i I thought that had broken and i just had this one drum machine and so this the rest of the 40 minutes was just well like one drum machine and i got really into it and i i tell myself that other people were into it there's a few people like yeah that was good actually but it was yeah, it was pretty raw. <laughs> I, I I feel like there's a there's also a guy named Sean Rudiman performing on Saturday uh, with Juju and Jordash, and he he just goes in with no plan every time. Yeah. But but he explained it. He said it was because all my equipment failed. <laughs> it's just front. You just have to front it and just pretend it's. Another thing is, I think this is a jazz thing that I. It, like if you make a mistake just do it again and just look like you mean it and then people are like oh that's you think it's a mistake but it's not he's it's all intentional you're like, yeah of course it's intentional you, you said sometimes like when you're playing live you just cut the sound just to feel the fear a little bit as well yeah definitely that's good yeah it's just a you know it's just a live show i think that it's it's like anything you sort of build up the the actual thing of it maybe going wrong it, it's quite bad but it's not ever as bad as you. It's not like anything. Ri- and I, weirdly, if you if you if you're a bit flippant about it, you're less likely to make a mistake. I think if you if you're like, oh, I can't, oh, I can't touch that. Oh, it just usually for me, I, I just either don't enjoy it or I do make a mistake. It's like I'm someone that I don't like. I from fear of losing my phone, I'll lose my phone. I'm that sort of person, and I've lost a lot of phones, and. Like I think I'll put it somewhere weird or just it's kind of I'm trying. It's not the analogy is not really working, but I mean if you're if you're trying to get a take in the studio, yeah, you trying, know, but yeah, yeah. yeah if you if you're trying really hard, Mr. Miyagi would put it better. <laughs> but you know, I feel like a lot of this, you had like a sort of casual. Um, I, I don't know if it, I call it a casual approach, but you were you were working. It was almost like a lark in the early days, right? Like when you first started sending stuff to Warp, you you made it purposely fucked up. Yeah, I was never casual about music. I've never been casual about it, but I, there's always been an element of like finding absurd ways to work and just finding humor in music, for sure. It's my favorite music's kind of got a com- like comedy element, I think, sometimes. Just... And not, yeah, I guess taking it seriously and not taking it seriously at the same time. Like once you've got like a really solid pattern of just being obsessed with it and working on it, you can lighten up a bit or something. Yeah, I I, I didn't mean to, knowing something about your work habits, I don't think casual right. is the way to describe <laughs> it. Not, yeah. yeah, I don't like, yeah. I don't like get put a suit on before work like Nick Cave. So, I mean, you, you said that there's like a sense of humor in some of your favorite music. Like when I think about like the ghost box stuff or something, like it's it's, yeah. it's kind of creepy, but in this campy or way. Like Thelonious Monk or some like, I just like some really, uh, some techno does it for me. Like some of Randomer's stuff. I've t- I love his, like some of his kick drums just sat, they just literally sound like dogs barking or something. It's just... Just like really so primal and odd, like odd decisions people make <laughs> in music that always uh, stick out, stick out. And yeah, I mean, I still just find the idea of 
changing all the notes in a piano before a concert pianist plays and like just doing it so they don't know and then they still play the piece but it's just just that's just not it's just childish isn't it I just find that really funny though or just like playing the piano and then punching it is funny I just find that funny <laughs> and and I mean this this sort of stuff is kind of prevalent throughout your catalog like where you just have this really like kind of grotty acid house track and then it sounds mm. sounds like Murs Bows come in or something like that maybe yeah but it, it doesn't mean that the bits that are like you know sort of more emotional or doesn't mean that they're not it doesn't invalidate them I mean it's not it's not really it just feels a bit more honest to make to represent the, the whole gamut of what humans are rather than just go for one I don't know but then I, I really like artists that do just do one thing as well it's not like I'm trying to think of an example hmm like Burial I guess it's quite an obvious example but he he's just got this thing that he does and it you know what it is and it, that's that's amazing I love that but it's not for me I'm just more chaotic I suppose yeah it's like pushing it to the point where you're almost like a jack of all trades like you never you never want to do that but like there's fun to be had if you kind of flirt with all of these different things and then rein it in so that you still people know it's you there's still a thumbprint on it but it's a bit more obtuse or like sprawling to me that's just really exciting I, lo I love that in music and you know getting back to the early days you made the debut mm. Clarence, Clarence Park while you were in uni and there, yeah. there's there's sort of like this thing with that era this kind of like uh, I guess pastoralism that came through with like a lot of yeah um, maybe like the IDM affiliated acts and like warp acts from that era what does that, what does that mean but I don't know what that that pastoral I always think of um, classic I always think of English classical music that uh, yeah it, what do they call there's a yeah cow, in England people call classical music of that pastoral they call it cowpat music <laughs> which I always think is quite funny. It's like sentimental. A lot of English classical music is quite sentimental and a bit obvious. Like if you compare it to like Russian classical music, which is just mental, just like really forbidding and mathematically like genius. Whereas pastoral, I always associate with this like cozy, coziness. Yeah, I mean, I guess everything from like the album art to the fact that you said it's sort yeah. of inspired by the seasons and nature. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's. I've never tried to sort of do a sci-fi thing really with electronic music. You know, it's quite it felt. Oh, that felt. But I, I think that was already a bit dated when I signed to Warp. There was because it was sort of just post like intelligent drum and bass, and which was like the most future music ever, and. Um, it just felt a bit done and it was it's, it suddenly became quite retro actually and it, like the idea of future what was that the amazing journalist um, lecturer Mark Fisher said about like now futurism is kind of it's like a genre in the way that gothic is it's not there is not really a it, it's all been done so if you have a future aesthetic it's like it's, it's kind of cliche and a bit a bit kitsch and retro now so in the same way that a lot of things are in culture like everything it's kind of depressing on some levels everything's kind of been done and you just get variations and i don't know i don't know i'm no cultural theorist 
Next question. Don't the, the, the idea of like <laughs> retromania or something. Yeah. yeah. But when you signed to Warp, uh, I, you played a party for them in 2000. Is Chris from St. Albans? Is that the... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yes, I think so. Yeah, and you were you were sort of sending. I was only about eighteen, so it's off a mini disc. Yeah, and I thought CFAX stole my mini disc player, and he didn't. And it, uh, we were both quite drunk, and it was fine. It was fine, but it was. I'm sort of blushing at the memory of it. It was like more than does twenty years ago. Did you did you go up to him and accuse him? Yeah, yeah. And I think he was accusing me of something. I don't know, it was, but it was fine. We we're, we're quite chatty now. It's fine. Twenty years. So you later. didn't you didn't come to blows? No, 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 no. Nothing exciting like that. But but it was, actually, it was like, very English, all very English and restrained. <laughs> but the mini disc player was like really uh, yeah. That that's what you were using then. Yeah, I recorded loads on it and would just use. Um, yeah, it had a random play feature, which is sort of just put loads of I would just like uh, record Ackerbilk the clarinet players terrible just buy records from charity shops and then just chop them all up and then just put put random shuffle on and that was again that was just struck me at the time as as really funny but but then generally would use um, effects just loads of effects and resampling and I had a synth a Yamaha really crappy digital synth that was just you could get sounding really good if you just resampled it again and again and again through this through the filters on this EMI sampler. So that was yeah, and just also having to finish tracks in a day because you yeah, that's that was good. That vibe of you just do it in the moment. Like most of Clarence Park was written in two weeks, and there's lots of other music from that era that didn't hasn't come out yet. That's just yeah, one one session on a track. And was that because of uh, like limitations? Yeah, on just sampling? the li- yeah, just the and just limited sample memory, and you just put it on mini disc or tape, and then do the next one and like that, and then you don't have time to think. And if you want to go back and tweak it, it's quite a ha- it's a hassle, and it draws your attention to the thing of lo- you don't want to kind of retrofit it with new features, and that's something that I'm more and more in favour of, I think, but not to the point of everything has to be one take you know but um just being quick working quickly is i enjoy it so so you've sort of gone full circle with that from like bashing it yeah all sorts of circles but yeah kind of come back around to the beginning on some things yeah and i've i've also noticed that um you know there was this this early period where you were like really kind of refining your sound uh, mm. like 2001 through yeah, that's 2006 the f- yeah that the the least fun i've had on a record was the second one i think empty the bones of you was just really cutting my teeth on how to i still enjoyed it but it felt that was like it felt it's the only album really that's felt like work like the other ones haven't felt like i've been at work at all it's not like you you don't you're not you know if you're obsessed with something you're just you can't keep away from it it's your like work is not being able to work on it that's that's a really weird but good sweet spot spot to be in on a record but that album was like just because i had to discover so much and the first album clarence part was just a like was pretty ropey in places (laughs) 
now technically you know like some of it like the ah oh, i don't yeah i'm cringing actually thinking about it it's not all of it some tracks there's like yeah like a cringing and proud at the same time there should be a word for that there's probably a german word for that <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. uh but wait so for empty the bones of you you were sort of um this this is like the cubase like really painstaking copying yeah just like loads of it was the first time i could um overdub and like go back to tracks because it was all it wasn't an atari and it yeah um so just just like oh yeah i can go back to this again and again and again and you're like opening pandora's box in a way um and then the album after that it was like oh yeah you can go back to stuff again and again and again you just i got really confident with it and I think that sort of shows in the record it's just it's it's sort of almost too confident but not but like enough restraint for it not to be totally annoying hopefully I don't know it was that was just yeah it's something kicked off on that third album that that I enjoyed well on on that one like it was the uh like body riddle it was yeah. like you had you had like that observe harvest track as well which is just basically like a, a noise track that what's that i think it was maybe like a japanese oh yeah that yeah, yeah i used to open live shows with that yeah and, and then, i wanted to open the album with it and um steve beckett was working at warp and he was like what that in hmv people pick up your album put on the first track and that's the first track what are you fucking mental <laughs> Uh, basically, this this, good this track is just a a wash of feedback. Yeah, f- for a it's few just, minutes. Yeah, but it it, it would have been alright if the a whole album was like that. But the rest of the album's quite sort of dainty. No, I was going to say dainty. Like it's quite melodic, so it would have been a weird decision. But you know, sometimes like A and R, I think is is simultaneously you don't really need it. You can go alone, but sometimes just little nudges that people make. It's, it's got to be someone you trust, but just if even if it's just, I feel like it, I feel like everyone could do with a bit of A and R. You just need it. You just even if it's like, oh, that track could maybe be a bar shorter. You don't have to listen to it. You don't have to listen to. Of course, you don't have to listen to what people say. But I find when people overreact to to anyone uh, suggesting something with the music. They they think it makes them look really confident and uncompromising, but the actual effect is like, well, you're protesting too much. Like I'm secure enough in my music to be able to, you know, take feedback and either listen or don't listen. But I'm not like, how dare you? This no, this is the way it's going to be because I, I I know what it is and I don't. It's fine. I'm not so guarded about it. But that but I used to be. I probably used to be that person actually that was like, oh, don't talk to me about what I need to do. But but this was a relationship that you had with Warp at yeah. the time, where yeah, they they would sort of give feedback, and you'd yeah, and I was like, I said to them that I wanted um, Herzog to be the single, and Steve was like, when you say single, what world are you living in? And it, <laughs> it was because they were releasing like Maximo Park at the time, and they had these big pop singles, and it was sort of a fair enough comment. But he, I mean, he loved he loved that album, but it was just not really a single track but it's it's interesting that you uh talk about empty the bones of you being one of the only times it felt like work because i was was checking in with like a huge fan of yours who also makes music and just you know 
uh, he's talked to me a lot about these productions and yeah. and he and he's like you know this this I feel like that record is more influential on this newer wave of mm. intelligence sounding stuff like say like a Lanark Artifact or uh, Bruce yeah. and he's like I feel like that stuff sounds more like Empty the Bones of You than maybe than Aphex or something like that like it's maybe seems, yeah yeah that's interesting um, yeah I someone played me some Lanark Artifact and I thought it sounded amazing and it because I'm doing all of this well I'm not really making electronic music at the moment I'm just playing playing in piano and recording but I was like oh I don't want to listen to that because it will make me want to write elect- it will make me lose my focus on um, playing piano and, and that's like a compliment because it sounded really good this is like I can't remember I'm rubbish with names but yeah it was, I was into it um, I I sort of wanted to s- speak with you a little bit about that actually like influence um, you're always yeah. working really prodigiously like like uh, are you careful about what you take in? Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a balance though because it's not it's not like I don't listen to other music because I don't like it, but it's just a, it's a kind of discipline of not, you know, because you do you you are influenced by it, music without influences is 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 that technical music? It's that. Um, people that go to Berkeley and learn every scale under the sun and they study jazz from all of the jazz modes or whatever and they can play like beasts but they have no influences they have no like there's no culture current culture because there's a kind of jazz has become quite establishment music now and there's no there's a kind of oh, all the best stuff's happened so why would we bother with this pop music and that's just bullshit so music without influences is not interesting to me anyone can make something original that's not that compelling it's it's the lineage lineage and how you transform it into your own thing that's interesting but so yeah i'm quite i'm quite careful but also i'm kind of not i do just get obsessed with what i'm working on and and it's not because i think other music's shit it's just that i i just get really sort of fulfilled by just get obsessed with tracks i'm working on can't stay away from them so well, so yeah, I've, I do check stuff out. I really, into, I'm really into Laurel Halo's last record, the Latency EP. Or I haven't heard that. Yeah, or I, the Dust record. Yeah, that yeah, one. Yeah, that one's really interesting. Yeah, I tend to like look at what's out and then check it out a bit, and then just think, oh, I'll ignore that for two years and come back to it. And if it's still good, then it's good because the the sort of life cycle of music is so quick, and the hype kind of the fine mist of hype that is around everything it's like sometimes you you want to just listen to something in a more pure way and experience it for what it is rather than read about it and feel kind of cajoled or, or coerced into thinking it's good when it's better to leave stuff sometimes do you, do you ever apply that rule to your own music as yeah well? totally yeah all the time yeah come come back to stuff all the time so you you have like thousands of tracks at this point like uh sketches yeah yeah not finished tracks and and what are you what are you up to now are you i know that you've been doing a lot of uh i know you just scored dog star man which is Mm. you've been you've been playing some cello as well yeah that was a really interesting one in the end because it was this I, i hadn't heard of him but he's a really sort of renowned avant-garde director in film circles Stan Brackage and it 
I sort of initially watched the film and was like, fuck, I don't know what to do to that. It's not my style at all. What's he doing? Uh, I've got to finish it in two weeks, shit, and panicked. And then actually got really into it. And the, the film's the film's really intense. For the time it was written in, it was really influential. And kind of you can see, you can see the mark he's left in people that have completely ripped him off, but in a more conventional way. It's, it's really amazing, but um, I wrote lots of music for that very quickly. Um, and then it's just that thing of rendering it and realising that, yeah, that could be an album. So there's, there's yeah, I, I don't know how much to talk about. There's just, there's there's about four or five potential albums. And it's just a timing schedule thing. It's just like, kind of get, yeah, it's just the idea of how to release it is what I'm working through at the moment. Basically. Are you making a solo piano record as well? Is that I don't know. I'd love to do that, yeah. But I don't know. So I've always I sort of feel like that's the something to do for sure. It doesn't feel like that different to because I've always had piano in my songs. Not all of them, but so you're still in Berlin right now? No. Where in your Brighton? Okay, got it. Yeah. And and when you were in and when did you make the move? About three weeks ago. Okay, yeah, it's really stressful. Yeah, uh, when you were when you were in Berlin, um, one of the things you you were obviously observing, but not necessarily participating in club culture at the time. Oh yes, <laughs> and I it was funny. I was I was reading something you said in another interview. It said you're like these people seem to have a lot of time on their hands. You know? <laughs> oh, no, I didn't. <laughs> God, you've really trawled up some <laughs> shit, haven't you? Uh, no, I didn't mean that. It's like this, uh, no, I mean, it just seemed like you always have to have. <laughs> What's the question? It, well, what like what I'm accusation. saying is like you seem more comfortable having four or five projects on. Yeah, at all times. I, yeah, and I mean, yeah, you, yeah, you can have too much on the go, though. It's like I, I more and more feel like just like working on music all the time you, what is your what are you what is that i mean i do i've made a bit of a meal in the past of how much i work on music but it's it's better just to, to actually have a life outside of it as well and just work on it in a cuz you can i don't know you can just spend all day making music in a half-hearted fashion or you can spend like 5 hours of just ultra focus and then just do something else and that's what I favor more and I I don't think that's cuz I'm less passionate about it I think it's just a smarter way to live just to hone it a bit and um but the question about people with too much time yeah I don't I don't know why I said that it sounds well I know you sure you, it was me? you played in the club as well I just think at the time I mean you were Bur I guess Burkind people go on Friday and leave on Tuesday that seems a bit much but then isn't this festival like for the people? Are you all staying like for the whole thing? No sleep. You've also DJed downstairs at Bergine as yeah. well. And and uh, you've made, you played, played Slayer. Slayer, yeah, with all there. the reverb off on the mixer by accident. That's clever. Um, but I, yeah, it was around the time of, I mean, I'm still, I don't, I don't know if this is cool or not, but. I really loved Ed Banger. Not all of it, but like S Sebastian and Mr. Wazo. It's just and like early Justice as well. I I thought that was amazingly fun music, and it was it seemed to just like yeah, it's like trashy, and not all of it was great, but the good stuff was just just so f much fun to 
mixed with like you could mix it with metal and all sorts of things because it wasn't it didn't have that clean sleek kind of future techno thing it was just like trashy and kind of had loads of funk in it and i loved it so i mixed that with slayer i think in the burkine and some people liked it and some people hated it so must be doing something right yeah i guess like uh justice used to start out their dj sets with some metal as well and yeah maybe yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, Sebastian's popped up like... Uh, oh, he did like Charlotte Gainsbourg. Yeah, it's a beautiful record. Yeah, yeah, really good. You're more known as a live performer. Do you do you enjoy DJing a lot as well? I think I would get more into it now that... Um, yeah, or just, make, you know, like 70% your own stuff and then just being able to have the flexibility to drop other people's bits that you liked. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I could get into that. Is that something that you think you'll pursue going no i mean no because i just don't have time at the moment it's such a full time the last time i did it was around the clark album like i did loads of mixes some of which still haven't come out but i would i sort of was like right i'm gonna see what this is like to just dj and i bought loads of music and it's really time consuming and you need you just need a lot of energy and again it's a distraction from I, i don't know if there are any I don't know if someone that can just, just does it all convincingly, you know, like because I do lots of film work as well, and like composing for that, DJing, making my own music, releasing albums, do it. It's just something's going to break that frigging camel's back, isn't it? Like, it, and for me, it would be I wouldn't, I just can't DJ really. Yeah, I mean, I've heard similar people say that. Like, I think like on one of these exchange podcasts, Move D said that like I. I don't see too many people even doing like the production and, and the mm. DJing at like a, an extremely high level, which I mean, debatable. Most of the people playing the festival yeah. this weekend are DJing. And well, like if you producer. DJ, you sort of tend to make music that you're playing in clubs and which would probably, that's probably the appeal. And this is, this is not something that you've ever, or I guess here and there, like there, there. Have been I mean, it's it's not that. It, yeah, it's just again, it's like it's. Yeah, I would love to actually have more time to do it, but I just don't at the moment. Maybe in the future, I know that I like the idea of just turning up with a USB stick. I definitely. Yeah, it's just amazing. It's interesting, like even in uh, sort of clubbier tracks, like Honey Badger, which came out last year, like. Yeah. Uh, you're you're not really willing to sit still for the duration <laughs> of, you know, a six minute track. Uh, you, you love a transition like thrown in <laughs> three quarters of the yeah, way through. Pro- yeah, probably. Yeah, I can't really explain that. It's not contrived. It's not contrived, and I'm not I'm not trying to just be contrary or whatever. It just that's just how they come out. It's definitely something that I've. It's become a bit of a trademark, I guess. I, I have a theory about it. Like, yeah, uh, go for it. Yeah, so I know, haven't. It would be weird if I go for your theory. <laughs> you know, like more than more than most people, uh, people think of you sometimes as like this sound design person. But like the the real through line, I think, is like the idea of narrative. Yeah, and I think like maybe this is what's drawn you to film as well. Like like when you you've spoken about film music and yeah, you sort of spoken about like how most people do like Foley and fill and kind of texture. And that's, that's not really what interests you. Like you're, you're interested in like memorable themes. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. I, I again, I, I feel like a, 
a charlatan when it comes to things like technical sound design. Like, I mean, I know I put a lot of effort into detail in my music, but I don't. I'm not. I'm quite slapdash about recording. Um, certain things I'm really slap, and then other things I'm not. Like, I'm the things that I get really meticulous about are structural you know transitions and like un UK on the last album like there was one you know I can spend like hours on two seconds and just listening to it hundreds of times and the sort of yeah just the the compositional uh I guess roots or like the the foundations of a song what like what what the melody is doing and what the how that interacts with I, yeah, all of the elements, be they like noise or harmony or rhythm, that's the, that's what's really... So when people are like, oh, you're a sound designer, I take it as a compliment and I'm, I'm usually like, yeah, I really, I'm really into sound design, but I don't really know what it is. I guess quite often sound design is like a... And it, I, find, I find I'll like spend time on it when I haven't got any music left in me. <laughs> it's just like something... You can do... I guess this is a bit of a... A nice diversion, you know. Diversion. It's not even a yeah. That um, but like, because I've been singing quite a lot recently, and also working with singers, and what's really revealing is that you can work on, like I can work on music in any mood. Like I can be in a. Sh- I mean, I'm pretty. Whenever I'm working on music, I'm generally quite happy. But everyone has off days. It's just human nature, or you know, even if something is quite bad in my life, and I'm actually properly depressed. I can still work and it's it's like a slightly masochistic like pride and like yeah I'm just gonna I can like switch something off and just work but you you can't you if you can do that if you can sing and do that which is like this really vulnerable you know like everyone's a bit self-conscious about their voice and if you can sing through that then that's like you've reached some it's it and I can't do that yet like it's it's so connected to your mood and I feel like sound design is something that you can just kind of, it's like more like editing or graphic design. You can kind of, you can do it in a, you can detach more. But um, I, th- I think what I'm saying is that the, the music that I think is really captivating and has a, lo- a good lifespan and like lasts and will be in the world for a long time is music that takes that takes something out of the, the maker. It's like you're exposing, it's an exposure. And that's that's to me interesting. <laughs>